This is the Field Crafts Rebel podcast. I'm your host for this ad space, as well as the podcast that you're about to hear with Ryan Atkinson of Fieldworks. Guys, this podcast is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, Unless you've been living underneath a rock, like a slug or Helgramite, if you're a fisherman, you should know what the hell a Helgramite is. Guys, unless you've been living under a rock, you should definitely know who Black Rifle Coffee is what they do and the products that they offer. Evan Hafer, uh, founder of Black Rifle Coffee, good guy, former Green Beret, veteran, uh, proud, proud uh, patriot of this country. Definitely is someone who we have a lot of fun with here at Fieldcraft when we go to his events, when he comes to ours. Solid guy, solid company. Uh, Last year I had a chance to get a cup of coffee brewed by him and I'll tell you it's the strongest coffee I've had to date. Um, Black Rifle Coffee has expanded as you guys probably have heard, and all their products are available all over the place right now. So you guys can find their ready-to-drink stuff in stores. You can find their coffee rounds that'll fit in your Keurig. You can carry the instant coffee packs pretty much wherever you go. I make it a point to carry a couple, at least a couple every single day in my uh, daily carry bag that I bring to work, just in case the coffee machine goes down here. We still got hot water in the coffee or in the, the water machine. So I'm never going to be a day without Black Rifle Coffee. Um, guys, please check them out. Their website is blackriflecoffee.com, and they're all over social media doing some pretty cool stuff, uh, including racing and all sorts of gun content. Got to love them. So we're going to get down to business with this podcast. Uh, this is Ryan Atkinson, probably someone who has consumed a lot of coffee while doing executive protection work for celebrities all across the country, every single state and in numerous, numerous countries around the world. So grab yourself a cup of Black Rifle Coffee, get ready to learn about some executive protection, how it can apply to the average Joe, and drink your cup of Joe, and listen to this. It's going to be a good one. Here we go. Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Kevin Estella. I'm one of the trainers here uh, at Fieldcraft. And, uh, you know, if you guys have listened to my podcast before, you know that my primary focus is wilderness skills, you know, that that's my background. That's why Mike Glover brought me on board. But if you know anything about me, I'm not just interested in survival in the great outdoors. Uh, I picked up training in different combatives, uh, you know, around the same time that I started teaching outdoor skills professionally, because that's always been an interest of mine. And any chance I get to pick the brain of someone I consider a subject matter expert, I'm going to do that. Um, you guys have heard my podcast with Bill Rapier in the past. You probably heard my podcast with Ernie Emerson or Ernest Emerson. And today I'm, I'm joined by uh, another SME I highly respect and someone I think you guys are going to take a lot from, um, especially when it comes to protecting your families, which let's face it, that's your most valuable resource. So I'm joined today on the podcast by Ryan Atkinson of Fieldworks. Uh, and if you're looking for Fieldworks spelled like Fieldworks, W-R-R, W-O-R-K-S, you're not going to find it. You got to look for at F-L-D-W-R-X and you'll see he's doing some pretty cool stuff. So Ryan, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, by the way, Bill Rapier is the man. Uh, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. guy's awesome. And uh, interesting enough, uh, Fieldworks came from a combination of Cogworks and Fieldcraft when I joined Instagram. I just kind of made it up. No kidding. Um, 
So yeah, that's interesting. Uh, full circle story. <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny. Uh, you know, we were talking before we jumped on this podcast, uh, and I said that, you know, I've been tracking your stuff for, for quite some time and, you know, we're in the same recoil off grid magazine. You got the, the cooler spread, I thought, but, uh, you know, just been a, a big fan of all you're doing because I think it's very relevant to the average person. Um, you know, even, even though they're not going to be protecting celebrities, they have to protect their family. Um, and that's really your specialty. So let's kind of tell the listeners, uh, what you're doing now. And I want to go right to the very beginning of how you got into that job, because there are probably guys that want to be in your shoes. There are a lot of people that want to be in my shoes, but once they get them on, they realize the shoe doesn't fit. Usually, <laughs> um, the job that I have isn't what uh, is romanticized on you know uh, the internet or movies and whatnot. It's really not that way. Um, my my corner of this world is with celebrities. You know, I don't I don't do executives from uh, Fortune 500 companies. I do high visibility over announced visit security you know everyone knows you're coming everyone knows we're gonna be and you just have to be better than everybody <laughs> you know and check the big boxes and you know disregard the small boxes we're not the secret service you know um i work with secret service guys and navy seals and everything else and they're good at what they do but not always good at what i do interesting enough you know so not to pat myself on the back but it's it's a different world you know um right now i'm working with uh, one of the most famous comedians on earth uh at the moment and uh, we're on a USA tour, ends at a stadium show, and uh, I'm happy to be on board with this one. Uh, it's a good break from the rock and roll world for sure. So we uh, moved this one through uh, May or uh, and past, and uh, we'll see how it goes. You know, you brought up something that I think is really interesting, and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, and it's popularized by movies that glamorize bodyguard work, right? And let's start off with probably the most famous one, The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner. Do you ever watch that and just shake your head like wrong, wrong? Like, yeah, it's like anything though. It's like if you were to watch a wilderness or survival <laughs> in, the, in the wilderness, you'd probably pick it apart. And uh, Or like any kind of shooting scene in any modern movie. You just can't believe there's so many uh, advisors that are readily available on big budget films that you can't get someone or source someone to show them how to shoot. <laughs> it's just puzzling uh, how it comes across on TV, but it's entertainment, you know? So uh, you got to feed the fantasy, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you're considered a, a subject matter expert in personal security, but how did you get there? Like how, what was your, your foray into that world? I always tell people I go the long way. You know, I never, I never had a shortcut or a fast track. It was really weird. Um, I actually was playing football in the, at the university of Kansas, uh, in two around 2000 and, um, graduated in Oh two and got hired by a guy out of Kansas city who I met through a friend. Uh, so coming from LA to Kansas, uh, I meet security for celebrities in Kansas city. Well, no weird twist. Um, so I got hired by a company called MPB. Uh, the owner Pete Beetle liked me. I was 22 years old, you know, six two, three fifty, you know, uh, with a with a degree, you know, and uh, you know, communication skills, etc. So he said, "I'm just going to put you out there and see what happens." So I learned from the inside out. Uh, I never went to rock shows. I never went to concerts or big events my entire life. I never really really went. And uh, first thing I knew, I was a uh, uh, security director for the band Pearl Jam at age 22, and I just learned on the road which is uh, not ideal, but sometimes you throw people in the deep end and see what happens. And learning is often synonymous with making mistakes. I mean, without, I mean, you can reveal as much as you want, but I mean, 
were there any of those mistakes that have just stuck with you over the years? Like people should not do this. Oh, as far as uh, my mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Or things that like the average Uh, person could take away. Yeah. I'm human, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, I've been doing this a lot. I'm subject matter expert. I mean, I could just pat myself all day long, but we're still human. There's human error and everything. So I make mistakes constantly. It's just the big mistakes you try to avoid, you know? Uh, don't, don't have anything that's terminal, you know, don't, don't screw yourself over on the job. Um, but a lot of it's learning your client, you know, um, it's all personality in this business. People have to like you first and foremost, you know, you can be the best security person in the world. You can be the smartest person in the room, but if you're not relatable, people won't want you around. Mm. Uh, and we travel in a bubble, you know, almost literally it's crazy. We, you know, right now I'm with a group of 20 people and we're traveling the country together. And it's, you know, when you're around the same 20 people all day, every day, you know, our work days are 24 hours. <laughs> we don't go home. Uh, so it's a different, it's a different vibe, you know? So it's all personality, uh, and being flexible with uh, other people's personalities. Don't be, you know, too needy. Um, but as far as mistakes, I mean, there's so, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, Slade, uh, Slater Raider, Slade Kucher. Uh, he says that, uh, what's it? Amateurs talk about tactics, professionals talk about logistics, you know, and it's it's logistical You know, everything is just, what are we doing next? Where am I going next? So, um, the world that I live in is way too fast, uh, to be perfect. 80% now is better than hundred percent later. Right. Um, so we do, we do about 80% of the right things (laughs) because it just moves too fast and I'm not with a big department. I don't have an agency, you know, so, uh, we're rolling in buildings, different buildings, massive buildings every day, different ones. So it's quickly deconstructing everything and getting to work and checking the big boxes, you know. So mistakes will happen. Everyone understands that in this in this world, um, but not just avoid the big ones, you know. When you're working with these celebrities and these high profile guys, um, you know, you said how you've got to know their personality, but I'm sure there are certain celebrities that simply don't care to like learn who you are. It's like do your job, that type of thing. I mean, there, how do you strike the balance between you know, letting them get to know you or trying to get into their inner circle, but without stepping, you know, over your, your bounds. Uh, that comes with, uh, experience. Um, we call it King's court. Um, King's court is, uh, you know, the people that are around the artists. Those are the people that you typically have to warm up to first. The, the artist or the celebrity or whoever you're working for their inner circle, because those people will be a little bit more, uh, relaxed in, in your setting. And you'll be able to have conversations that you don't want to stick in your client's ear right when you meet them, you know. So um, quiet and present and helpful uh, at the beginning. And you'll warm up and you'll learn people's personalities, who likes to talk, who doesn't talk, you know, who does what. Just trying to figure out who the person is that you're talking to uh, before you say anything. You know, it could be anything from political beliefs to religion to whatever, dietary stuff, exercise, drugs, alcohol just try to figure out who that person is before you say a word. Really? Yeah. It um, sounds when I jump in with, go ahead. Uh, when I jump in with clients, uh, I stay quiet for at least a week. I hardly say anything. And then I, I'm a jabber jaw with the inner circle or the King's core. I just talk their ears off because you know? <laughs> they go back to the client and say, this guy's pretty cool. You know, and then that person warms up to you. Um, so it's a weird uh, balance, but you're not going to win them all. And you know, I worked for, I worked for the band Kiss for seven years, you know, and I, I, I'm still their security director and the lead singer is Paul Stanley, you know, and he's been around, he's been famous for 50 years. He doesn't, he doesn't care to know people because people come and go, 
And I understand that. And he's got a giant ego. And he, he's it's from being famous for five five decades, you know. Um, and he didn't talk to me for years. <laughs> I mean, literally years. He didn't even look at me or say anything. I opened a car door and he wouldn't even say hi, you know. And I didn't care. My ego is not there to be stroked. It's all about them. They're the show. I'm just uh, assisting with the process, you know. So I'm a piece of the puzzle. Uh, as long as your ego's in check, you won't you won't get buttered by the whole thing, you know. That sounds like a giant red flag. If anyone's trying to become what you are, if they're doing it for fame or notoriety, you're probably in the wrong profession. Yeah, that's why uh, I've had an aversion to uh, you know social media and doing podcasts and all this other stuff. It's kind of a taboo subject in security world, you know, pretty, pretty tight lived community. Um, but I'm at an age now and an experience level where I just, I know what I can talk about, what I should not talk about. So, um, it's strange though. It's still strange doing podcasts and interviews and stuff and being in magazines. It's a little bit surreal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think one of the the questions I bet a lot of people are asking or, or wanting to know when they hear about security, um, you know, like it's probably said over and over, it's probably very cliche, but I've always heard guys say like, when I go into a room, I always put my back, you know, up against the wall so I can see the door. And it's like, okay, I've heard that a thousand times and I can live in the bumper stickers we all put on our cars and things like that. But for the, you know, everyday guy, in addition to that, situational awareness of where the exits are, the inconvenient exits and all that great stuff. I mean, when you say that you're going into a highly dynamic environment where you don't get the benefit of doing an advanced search and having like this giant detail to check out the schematics of everything. I mean, how do, how do you, how do you process? Like what's, what is, what goes through your mind when you're with a celebrity and you're keeping track of all the things around you, you know, you hear guys say fives and 25s, but I mean, do you have something that you could give the listeners in terms of like, this could save your, the life of your family? Yeah, there's, uh, there's no silver bullet, you know, there's no magic pill you could eat to make yourself some kind of, you know, a master at situational awareness or, or seeing things before they happen. It's just a, it's a constant equation that you have to work out, you know, we try to stay within our attention currency for the day. We try not to burn off too much of that currency with nonsense, you know, um, just checking the big boxes. Like I said before, um, there's certain things that have to get done and everything else is kind of like freestyle, you know, uh, it's a weird thing for me to explain to people that do EP work uh, on a high level or they're federal agents, whatnot, doing protective details because they don't have any flex. You know, my secrets, I've got lots of secret service friends and, and they just don't understand how I do my job. <laughs> Their brains break when they see me work. They say, this is completely unsecure. <laughs> this is not, you know, I'm on a private jet. They're like, did you check the fuel? I'm like, no, I didn't check the fuel. I just came off the stage. <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, I can't check those little boxes, you know, like they do. They've got unlimited resources. I don't. It's very finite, right? So, um but as far as, uh, you know, protection and, and seeing things before they happen, uh, I like to I like to uh, talk about things uh, regarding situational awareness in this weird scale. You know, like um, uh, it's a puzzle that gets put together in every room you enter. You know, there's certain things that you look for. Uh, in my world, I want to make sure I have a space that's private I can escape to. I have a vehicle on standby. I know the drivers. I know where he's at. Um uh, but in 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 everyday world, I've got three kids, you know, and a wife, and um, I just uh, when I'm with them, it's different. It's different than when, when I'm with the client. It really is. So 
uh, talking to people about their family security and everything else. It's weird. It's strange to talk about. I guess there's some carryover um, from my work to what I do with my family. Um, but, you know, I'm an L.A. guy that moved to Boise, Idaho, because I wanted to escape all that input. You know, all the bad people, the characters that are walking around and gangs and, and the violence and everything else. I wanted my family to get away from that. So my kids have to grow up in it. But um, and I'm not home a lot, you know, so that's a weird thing for for me. Uh, you know, uh, well, so when I'm with my family, uh, I do the situational awareness checks, checks, you know, it's the ABCs of situational awareness, you know, um, over covert exit. You heard that one before? I, I haven't heard it put that way. No. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, OCE. So you walk into a room, what's in your face? Is it Chuck E. Cheese? Is the big rat playing a guitar? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Someone doing jumping jacks in the middle of the floor, you're going to see it first. Covert, you start looking for weirdos, right? Like we all do. Uh, people that are grooming, people that don't make any sense, they're dressed inappropriately, et cetera. And then exits. We've got primary, secondary, and our, our third option or our donkey show option. You, know, you go through a wall, go through a window, whatever it is. If you're in a restaurant going out of the kitchen door because by U.S. code, you have to have a push bar inside of your kitchen door. So it's always a third exit, right? Um, that's a quick check. You know, if you're just out doing life and you're out there doing stuff, you're not, you know, you're not on detail. You have to relax. Um, so that's one of those things I teach my kids and, and, and people that I know is the OCE method for a quick scan, you know. Um, uh, just not putting yourself at risk. Don't be a dumbass, you know. Uh, that risk behavior will increase your percentage of getting fucked up, you know, and uh, – proximics learning who's around you like mm-hmm. how, how close are people from me you know uh, are people in my personal space or in a social space it's really hard for people to do that in new york city etc because it's just so dick jammed with humans that you can't really scan everybody all at once you know um yeah uh, left to bang mindset's funny i like to talk about it a lot so you know i started teaching it in my classes and uh talking about how the human eye works and how the brain works and uh, I, I relate to people by saying, you already know this stuff. You already kind of know these things that I'm going to say. I'm just putting words to it so you understand the words and you can access it in your file folder faster. Um, it's like if you had four oranges sitting in front of you. You understand you have four oranges, but you could do two plus two and just it's a hack. It's the shortened chain like Bill says, you know, Bill Rapier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just, you're faster, you can process information faster. So learning these little hacks and these little, you know, uh, codes for things so you could just remind yourself what you're doing that helps a lot you know we like to do things in threes right um when when you have trouble you call 911 or ghostbusters right or you uh you know tap rack bang you know abc's airway breathing circulation it's just we like those threes you know so i like to make these little acronyms for everything man i'll, I'll tell you you know i'm sitting back here and I, i've interviewed a lot of guys over the years um I don't think anyone has ever said the donkey show exit, but I think, I think there are a lot of folks out there. If you don't know what the donkey show exit is, you might want to that's, protect yeah, your, uh, that's courtesy of Mr. Ed Calderon. That's what he calls it. So <laughs> that's uh, unbelievable. the donkey show just means everything went to shit and what are we going to do now? So, um, oh my God. that's one of those things you don't, you know, Ed, Ed is right. Yeah. Yeah. I met him at Blade. So, yeah, and I became good friends over, over COVID, you know, I just, I started traveling around with him as part of his, you know, goon squad and cadre group. And, uh, those guys took a, him and doc took a liking to me because of what I do and how long I've been doing it and my, my perspective on things, you know? So, and the, it was feeling was mutual. I just got into it with him too. And he just sees things in a different light. So, but he's a donkey show guy. Tijuana's finest. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, 
his interviews that he's been doing with uh, Sean Ryan have been eye opening. You know, I think if, you know, we, we always talk about like how we have like the circle of, of our community here. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, listen to that podcast, you know, Sean Ryan, he has some really good guests on Ed's a good guest on, on that podcast. Uh, Andy stumps, another one, you know, there, there are certain folks that I wish more people had exposure to. Um, but I mean, even what you're, you're saying here, you know, doing things in threes, I mean, we talk about force timing and space being the three variables in any fight, you know? So it is so common, like you said, I mean, even for religious people, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we like things in threes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very digestible way to install information. Um, So man, unbelievable. Yeah, things have to be repeatable, you know? They have to be easy to access. You know, a lot of the classes, I, you know, I learned a lot from Ed and Doc, uh, Doc Halidus, the, uh, they, they kind of encouraged me to do what I'm doing with the classes, you know, to talk in front of people. I am a public speaker. You know, I talk to government agencies and law enforcement every single day of my life in different cities, you know, and uh, I, I'm not shy. I'm not a shy guy. It's a, the blessing and the curse, you know. Um, so those guys pushed me to do it. And uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> uh, over covert exit. We were talking about doing things in threes, public speaking, you know, being situationally yeah. aware. Yeah. Anyway, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so now, so now you're offering these classes, um, and I want to talk a little bit about that, and then some of the the things that people might see on your social media that you have shared uh, that they might be like, "What the hell am I getting myself into?" Um, and just understanding the value behind the training. So, kind of talk us through like the class that you offer, and and you know what we can learn from it. Yeah. Uh, so my Instagram account is confusing to most people by design. You know, um, you once in a while you'll see celebrity pictures uh, up there and whatnot, or me doing stuff at work, but it's not there now. You know, it kind of disappears and evaporates over time. So I keep it nice and tidy on that page. Um, it's just a glimpse to what I'm doing, you know, and everything else is nice pictures, you know, like my hobby. Um, but yeah, the classes that I, I teach, uh, I talk about myself. I tell uh, a bunch of stories of, of from the road, you know, think crazy things that have happened along the way. Um, it's never a dull tour. You know, I, I work for massive egos that have a huge draw, you know, and a, and a lot of energy and attention uh, focused on them. So it's always interesting. You're always learning. Uh, so I tell, I talk about myself, talk about uh, road stories and, and weird, you know, stalkers and et cetera, and, and crazy things happening at concerts, people dying, et cetera. Uh, moving to situational awareness uh, and how to deconstruct environments. Um, talk about urban movement, uh, deconstructing it quickly, deconstructing an environment. It's a weird drill we do. We go into a live environment and we essentially practice killing or plan to kill somebody or kidnap somebody. So we're just learning stuff about ourselves where we act like we're bad people for a couple of hours and we don't actually do it. We just plan it, you know, so. Uh, it's a weird, it's a weird way to train. It's a weird thing to do. It's, uh, most people don't don't typically like to do that sort of thing because you're a good person. But uh, thinking like a bad person will will give you insight, you know, to a lot of things. Uh, then we go into what I call knife karate, you know, uh, reverse edge methodology and and targeting soft tissue with edge weapons. I like to uh, remind people of their anatomy and where things are, you know, because uh, doing these classes, I've realized that people have the worst uh, concept of where their heart is <laughs> and their <laughs> arteries, et cetera. So 
Um, it's really strange to me that people don't know where these things are, you know. So I just cover that. We talk about targeting uh, with edge weapons, and then we go into counter custody. Counter custody or kidnap ransom type stuff um, is something I've always been interested in because of what I do. I go south of the border all the time. I've been doing it for 20 years. And uh, you got a big distrust for law enforcement and protective details to insulate you in those countries, you know, like Colombia and Venezuela and Mexico. Uh, which is why when Ed Calderon first uh, became a personality online or in public, I, I kind of shit on him. You know, I, I said a lot of bad things about him because I have a strong distaste for Mexican police and I know Mexican cops, you know. Uh, it wasn't until I met Ed to, that I realized that he wasn't like the other, other cops that I'd met for two decades. He's a completely different animal. Um, but before I met Ed, I met a guy named Carl in England, and he's the guy, he's the, the actual, you know, person that puts all this information out. Uh, he goes by Fortac 5 online or I think Oscar Delta. Um, he's the one that makes all those products that we, that we have in our classes, Ed and myself. And, uh, he's, he's the guy that travels to government agencies and teaches Sears school and et cetera. So, uh, I met him first and he's the one that kind of piqued my interest in the whole topic. And then Ed kind of just, you know got weird he put his mexican light on it and made it the whole thing crazy to me you know just really interesting so i talk about what i know i try to relate to people on the counter custody end by talking about what i do for work and why i'm interested in it and it's more of a civilian type concern you know um so yeah and then uh then we get drunk (laughs) (laughs) which you often learn so much about a person when you get them a little bit liquored up uh sometimes it doesn't take very much um yeah weird man like it's, it's a way to relate to people you know and, be, and just be human and just kind of like decompress you know and I, after the classes and they're, they're so intense and there's such a stress uh there's so much stress at the end of it everyone knows it's coming but when you go through it it's just uh you feel like you just won a, a super bowl or something people have this weird emotional high after a class you know so uh coming down a few beers is definitely a, a good thing for most classes you know yeah. What I find interesting is that alcohol is present in almost every single culture around the world, you know, and it's usually used for, for bonding purposes, you know? Yeah. Um, but you, you mentioned something, actually two things I have, like I've been taking notes here because I'm going to pass it off to our, our social media folks that will then write up this podcast. But, uh, you mentioned two things that are super high interest to me. And I think very useful for the listeners. And one is the concept of attention currency, and I got to ask you about that one because I have an idea of what you're talking about, how much you only have so much to invest, but I want your spin on it. Yeah. You know, uh, Yusuf Badu is. Yeah. We actually had him here at HQ. Uh, solid, solid guy. What a, I mean, human lie detector. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable dude. <laughs> That's crazy. We've talked for a while now and he just, be, I just do, deep dove on his stuff. You know, I'm like, this is so great. You know, I was, there's different people that I listen to when it comes to situational awareness. You know, Todd Fox is another one. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, Todd, he does what I do. Mm-hmm. And he works for a giant rock band. He's worked for this lead singer of a massive rock band for 20 years and ex-Marine, you know, um, Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt. It's a, it's a solid security dude. Um, but uh, he has a different take on things, which is pretty cool. Between Todd Fox and Yusuf, I, I think it's great. You know, uh, Todd goes by tour training on Instagram. He's got a small account, but the guy's one of the biggest, you know, <laughs> he's one of the biggest security brains online right now. I can't believe he doesn't have a massive following, but he, he will eventually. People will, will sniff him out. Um, but I definitely look up to that guy. Um, uh, attention currency, uh, the way things work at the beginning of the day versus the end of the day after you have your coffee. And you're ready to rock 
versus, you know, in my case, 2 a.m. when I finish my day, typically 3 a.m. And I need to go lay down because it's three hours before the next work day. Understanding that your brain can only take so much and process so much throughout the day is important. You should understand where you're at at all times, right? Um, maybe I'm a little bit better at it because of the long hours I work. Uh, the last five days before we're taught before today, the last five days I slept 10 hours. So it's just one of those things where, you know, if you're in charge of someone's safety and protection and you're doing, I do COVID testing on people. I do COVID testing on 70 people every single day. And, uh, to get up and do that on three hours of sleep and then get your client on stage at 9 PM, he gets drunk on stage and he, he goes three hours set and you're kicking out hecklers and uh, people that are cat calling from the crowd. It's a weird thing. You know, you have to save some of that attention currency. You've got to shut it down. Um, Yusuf likes to talk about, uh, you know, the, the guy at the, the Marine Corps base that's checking IDs. You know, the first one who shows up for work, has his coffee, checks the first ID at the gate, lets him in. It's exactly, it's completely different than the last ID he checks. You can't, you just, you're not picking up on little things anymore. You're not smelling the alcohol in someone's breath. Um, you know, dust to dawn, you know, those, those times of the day where it's twilight, your brain doesn't like it. You don't like to see things in them and when it's not light, but it's not dark. We like we got cones and rods in our eyeballs. We like to see day or night. We do have night vision as humans. You know, it's not very good, but we do have night vision with ambient light. You know, um, so uh, yeah, I just I go I go on and on about the attention currency and different you know different scenarios and uh, but every we're all the same. Humans are very simple. You know, we've got basic needs. You know, the hierarchy of needs. Um, but I guess uh, it comes with exposure and practice you know every time you do something over and over it's like what you do you're doing bushcrafting and out and survivals out outdoor without any resources it's the practice that makes you good at it you, you can't just study something and go do it you have to go suck at it first and then you get better right so um just understanding how your brain works and, and where you're at and, and self-analyzing how tired you are how much food and rest you've had you know that's why i like to exercise every day it just kind of clears my mind you know i do an hour of cardio every single day spike my heart rate to 170 and go for it you know and then i could just kind of think clearly after that you know um it's a weird thing for security guys like me because we're overthinkers. You know, we think about like, what if this happened? You know, it's, it's almost like the realm of fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, and we just, our brains kind of stray, but that's what makes a good security person. The what ifs, you know, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how an apparatus like the secret service, you know, was born was the what ifs. And then they just had the unlimited budget to throw out the what ifs, you know, um, we don't have that. So I'm just, I'm a thinker, you know, I'm a thinker on his feet and that's, you know, I don't usually have a laptop or desktop sitting in front of me. I can't just sit there and access thing on a computer. I just have to make decisions on the spot, you know? Um, but yeah, attention currency fueled by coffee. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of our sponsors is black rifle. So shout out to black rifle for all the, uh, oh, yeah. the attention that you've provided us. Um, <laughs> something else that you mentioned that I've had people ask me about, uh, which I think you're the perfect person to ask is, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, I don't like going to crowded places. You know, I don't like going to malls. I don't like going to concerts with the family or whatever, because there are too many variables. So what are some of the things that you look for when assessing the security of a large venue? Um, you've already mentioned like your primary, your secondary, your tertiary exits and, you know, the very overt, um, you know, the crazy guy, the one that's making all the noise, but 
what are some of the other big boxes that you've mentioned that we should be checking off when we go to these large venues that seem like they're out of our control? Because apparently, I mean, you're able to control it if you've been so good at your job, but how can the average person take care of their family when they go to these, these very public places? Yeah, that's a, that's a weird question. And I, and I hate to, you know, I hate to break it to everybody, but when you're in one of those situations or one of those crowds, I'm in a way better position than you. <laughs> I have the resources at my fingertips and you do not, you know, mm-hmm. so that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But, um, it's a difficult one in a big crowd, you know, because you become, uh, you just you're in the, you're in the ocean, so to speak. You're kind of floating around, and the waves are kind of taking where you're going to go. Um, I do a lot of shows that are called GA or general admission. You know, if you go to a, a big, heavy, you know, corn tool, you know, Lincoln Park type show, you know, uh, use mosh pits. There's an open floor. There's no chairs on the floor. You have like up to ten thousand people in a space. You know, and it's like if you put yourself in that environment, then <laughs> you're just riding the wave. You know you really don't have a choice of what happens next. You're just, that's part of the fun. That's part of the, that's why people crowd surf and mosh is they want to let loose and go crazy. And that's what comes with it. Um, if you want to go to a show, a concert, a comedy show, whatever it may be, a sporting event, you're trying to escape from something. You know, you're not going to work. You're checking out. It costs a whole bunch of money. You're having a good time. You have a few drinks. And you just want to check out. And that's that's the shitty part of what I do and, and talking to people in the crowd, you know, especially if you have to throw somebody out or evict them with a police compound. And you're like, is this sucks. This person probably dropped a brand and now they're getting tossed out of this building. But it's necessary most times, you know. Um, but you're kind of at uh, you're kind of you're at risk when you're at a, in a big crowd. You know, there's people like me out there looking out for everybody. Um, there's there's a lot of confusion when it comes to what I do, you know, because when I talk about security work you just think you're the big strong guy that can see things fast and move quick and shoot and and kill people and and protect your life you know and it's it's not exactly what i do i always tell folks that are getting to the my business that this is not a security operation you're not in a federal agency you're not protecting the president of any country this is a production and you're a piece of the puzzle do your stay in your lane know your role etc right uh, when we advance venues, and that's uh, planning ahead of time, uh, I get sent maps and all kinds of details uh, in these different apps that we use online uh, with everything from bus parking, uh, signage at the gates, uh, what what could be brought into the venue, what's not allowed, uh, what concession stands can sell. It's weird, really weird when I talk about concessions to new security guys. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you can't sell large pieces of fruit. <laughs> what what do we what what are we doing here? You know, pizza boxes. Yeah, you can't have pizza boxes at my shows because people set them on fire and wing them at my stage like a frisbee, and that's happened. <laughs> you know, so you know you cannot sell bottles and cans because people will throw them at my person on stage, and then the tour will be over, and then I lose my job. So no, um, you know. Uh, making passes for everyone in your bubble. We take over backstage when I roll into a venue. And once we get there, we are the authority. If there are police coming through, you can't be here. You know, it's up to the tour. We rented the building. It's our space, you know? So I make passes for everyone that's going to be anywhere near my artists. If you're come anywhere, uh, if you could possibly walk by the room or you're anywhere near the space, you have to have one of my credentials on that I signed that day. Um, clearing the house for sound check. If you have pyrotechnics or cryogenics or gags, you know, I work for rock bands that fly over the crowd. 
uh, knowing the structure uh, that your client is flying on, talking, having meetings with your rigging, rigging team and your riggers to understand emergency uh, plans for your your artists. You know, if you have to, it actually happened. It's on YouTube. Lead singer from uh, Kiss got stuck over a crowd in New Mexico, and uh, I had to get up on a twenty foot ladder and, and pull him out of the sky. One of the most horrifying things I've ever done in my life, you know, but you try to get us, he's already six foot two with seven inch heels on, you know, and all kinds of weird costume shit on. And I have to pull him off in a ladder in front of 20,000 people recording me, you know, uh, you know, you could die. So it's weird. Uh, talk about pyro. We, what kind of product you have? Uh, you should know what your product is when you have pyro, because when the canine sweep comes, you're the person that they talk to and they ask you about the product. Is it AB compound? Is there any kind of black powder? What do you have? Uh, you know, trying to figure out the dog's dual purpose. Does he bite people? Do I need to clear all the rooms of uh, artists and everything when the dog goes through? You know, um, social media, uh, it's a big problem in, in my world because it's not allowed any, in any of my spaces. I put signs everywhere. If you get caught and you're screwed, you know, you're fired, basically. Don't take pictures of things back here. It's private, you know. Uh, when I did Coachella, uh, I did Coachella consulting for a while and they had this app. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the name. There's a uh, Local scope was the name of it. I don't know if it's still up and running or working, but we used to be able to uh, find people posting on social media with this app. It'll literally point you to them, to the device that they posted it from. So we used to drive around in golf carts and just fire people that were taking pictures of the stage or the artwork that was at Coachella before doors because that's part of the reveal. You can't have the photos out online. No one will come. So um, media, I'm the media liaison for a lot of tours, photographers, anyone taking pictures, medical staff. What is the medical staff uh, protocol in the building? I order medics in certain positions and they have to be in certain places with certain kinds of radio headsets on, you know, so they can hear. Police, what do they do? Do you have a police escort, you know, in and out, uh, active shooter protocol inside the building? It's all kinds of staging uh, stuff that you have to be good with. Um, archival videos, we do security meetings all day long. You're in charge of all the staff, security staff inside the building and what times are supposed to be there, uh, et cetera. So there's a lot that goes on that's not just being a big warm body with, mm-hmm. uh, with situational awareness. That's not the gig. Uh, some people do that, but they're not me. Yeah, I've got friends who have worked in different security positions Uh government agencies, private security, whatnot. And they always talk about how, you know, there's certain types that you always see, right? Like the overt bouncer at a club or Mm -hmm. the overt bouncer at a bar. But then there's also the bouncers that you don't see, you know, there's also uh, security that is just blending in, you know, and if you know what you're looking for, you'll find it. Um, I think what you said about the social media aspect and taking photos is something that's very relatable to the listener because there are folks out there where, I mean, when we did our breakout course back in April, uh, Sean Kirkwood, who's one of our directors of training, found out all this information about every one of the students just through open source information through Facebook. He was able to say, oh, your wife is Jane and oh, you work at this Mm -hmm. bank and oh, uh, you know that picture you have by the back uh, window of your uh, of your house like and they were all blown away. Like, how did you get that? And he's like, you guys put all that information out there. Mm -hmm. You volunteered it. I God, I mean, there's so much that you do that I think if a person were to run a security detail for their family, metaphorically speaking, they would avoid all the problems that they're training for. Um, but just to change topic just for a little bit, you know, one of the pillars of preparedness that we talk about at Fieldcraft is everyday carry, you know, person. What does the load out of your pockets look like as a security guy? 
Oh man. <laughs> I knew you'd love, I knew, I know you're a blade guy. I know you've got a lot of cool, uh, stuff on the Instagram account that people should check out. Um, and I knew that this was going to be a good one. Cause I mean, there's only so much space in those pockets, even though you are a monster, there's only so much space in those pockets. <laughs> Uh, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Uh, I could empty my pockets at the end of the day and just be completely confused as anyone else. You know, <laughs> um, you're, you're coming in contact with so many people and for such a long stretch of the day where you're wearing the same pants, you know, um, I have luggage, I have a backpack, I have a bus, I've got a plane. Like there, there's things where I, there's places where I can put my stuff, my gear, you know, <laughs> I have an office every day. Um, I don't have to put everything in my pockets. I'm living in a building for 20 hours, you know, and you just, you create your bubble and you work outward. Um, so the things that I carry on me, uh, surprise a lot of people. When I tell people I typically don't wear a gun for work, they're like, they, they're confused. It's a head scratcher. Like, what do you mean? Well, I'm in a building that doesn't allow firearms, you know? So <laughs> I'm a planner. I'm a communicator. I make, I make plans with law enforcement. I keep law enforcement next to me. Um, funny thing. I used to work with this, uh, uh, former seal, um, named Brian Sargent, who's master Sergeant in the teams. And, uh, he was my partner on kiss in South America. And he used to have a, uh, a local security guy. We were going all over South America and he had a, he'd have a local security guy with him at all times, a, a policeman with a gun. And uh, that person was, would stand on one side of him all day long, and he was never one f- more than one foot away from uh, Sarge. And I asked him, hey, wh- why did you pick this little tiny old security guy with a gun? What is that? He goes, when shit hits the fan, I'm going to grab his gun and I'm going to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he literally was carrying a gun in the form of a human, you know. And uh, so he would never get in trouble. He just knew the rules. He couldn't carry a gun. <laughs> so you stand next to me and carry this gun and put this many rounds in there. Let me see it. Keep it all safe. You know, whatever it is. It was in the condition he wanted it. He knew that gun, you know. Um, so, you know, uh, the blade stuff, that, that kind of was born from that whole thing was that, you know, I can carry a knife for work because it's called tools of the trade. Mm-hmm. Tools of the trade inside of a building is not a Glock, you know, so it's not allowed. It's strictly forbidden, right? Um and even if you could get away with it, the risk and reward stuff is just, it's up to each individual. You know, I know guys that carry guns all over the place illegally, but, you know, at some point you move so fast, you're going to get tripped up. And then that's the end of you, you know, so you can't have a career like mine and, and just take all the risks in the world. You got to be calculated with your risks, you know. Um, a lot of the things in my world are what I can do, not what I should do. Um, I am not in law enforcement. I work for huge egos that have needs, you know? Um, and I'm one of those guys that you call when you want to bend the rules, when you want to live in the gray, um, rock stars aren't really good at being told no, especially in a building they're renting and, and that, that their own show. And it's, the bigger they get, they're just not used to hearing no. And it's one of those things, if you can get away with things, then I typically do it, you know, but that's one of them that I don't do. Uh, so, uh, the blade thing came from, uh, being in Europe, being in South America, being in other countries where you can't carry a firearm and just learning the rules with, with blades and knives and, uh, what you could have on you, uh, even in America, New York city is rough, you know, um, I'm from California. It was pretty bad there, but New York's awful with, with blades, you know, uh, you're going to get in trouble. So if you're carrying them around, but, uh, the blade thing came from not being able to carry a gun. I wanted the next best thing. You know, and it fell under tools of the trade type thing, so that's why I do it. Uh, I carry a radio for work, carry a Motorola HT1000 every day of my life. Uh, so there's always a radio on my belt. Um, 
carry around my counter custody tools as practice. Uh, as a, you know, I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm going to be kidnapped at any time in my in my space. You know, unless I'm in a place for like South America and south of the border. Um, so, uh, but I just carry it as practice. You know, there's certain things you can put in your pockets that are negligible. They're so small that it doesn't really matter and it's not taking up space. So I carry those as practice. Uh, I carry a Surefire light around. Good friends over at Surefire, they send me lights, so I've carried those forever. Um, and usually stuff that my uh, comfort creatures for my client, anything that that they might like. Maybe my client chews gum all day. Maybe they're a germaphobe, which I've worked for, and they have to peer all their hands. I worked for a rock star one time that, that didn't like noise or sound. <laughs> Believe that doesn't not. make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense. He's very, very famous, and he wears a headset on stage. I won't say his name to embarrass him, but... Uh, I used to carry earplugs in my pocket for him, and he was also a germaphobe. So I couldn't take the earplugs out of the plastic bag until they landed in his palm after Purell. Yeah. Wow. So this weird, weird shit that you come across, it's like an episode of What About Bob, the movie, you know. It's just strange. I work for strange people, you know. There's a lot of the stuff that's in my pockets is for them because they don't want to carry the shit. Why do I have you around? <laughs> you know? So just being helpful, Johnny the spot guy with all those little things. Um, I used to carry a notepad in my pocket to make physical notes, but I just go digital now. Uh, I don't map things out anymore. I used to be a big mapper. Every space I'm in, I draw little pictures of it to help me remember it. But I just use my phone now. There's enough tools on your phone that you could just do it digitally. It's a lot more streamlined. Uh, my iPhone, some, some cash. I carry cash around. You know, when I'm when I'm floating around the world, I carry a lot of silver. That's one of my big things too. Is a uh, you know relatable currency all over the world. You know, um, and yeah, cash is king, man. Lots of cash because I, I I have to do things that are weird. You know, I have to go and rent out a restaurant. I have to go do this. I, you know, without getting a company card, you're just cashing people out, tipping people. That's the best way to get someone to do something is to give them cash. You know. You and uh, contrary to popular belief, you can buy police everywhere. And I do it every day. Uh, and it's under the guise of public safety. You know, um, I pay for police escorts almost every single day. They give they get my clients onto the freeway, lights and sirens, in a lot of places. Some places no, and uh, take you to the jet, take you to your private jet. You know, all the way. I got cops that stand next to my stage with guns because I'm not carrying guns. I need a gun there. Um, so yeah, cash is king, but I don't carry too much because I just move around too much. You know, I'm just, uh, I have a bag that I, it's not very far from me at all times. It's got my full medical kit in there. Uh, all kinds of med stuff uh, that I learned to carry from Doc uh, Calidus. Doc's one of the brains behind Ed's uh, adventures, you know, as uh, a, you know, combat medic, cross-trained 18 Delta, uh, federal agent now, you know, still kind of a boogeyman. Um, but he showed me how to use certain gear, you know, it's a lot different than, um, a civilian uh, EMT, you know, he's got a different mindset and different way of, of thinking. So, um, a lot of my stuff is in an off-body bag. I've, I'm a big fan of off-body bags, you know, not, and not carrying a bunch of junk in my waist because the, I'm in non-permissive environments all the time. Yeah, I get searched constantly. I'm always in airports. I go to studios that they search you, ABC, NBC, Fox, whatever it is, they just search you there. So I can't just roll around with shit, you know, uh, hanging off my belt because it will just be a disaster. You're in front of a client and you're trying to pass through a security checkpoint. And now you're that asshole pulling all kinds of crap out of your pockets in front of everybody, you know. So and then you would hold up the whole thing. You know, if you're trying to move with a client and you're being held up because of the shit you're carrying, no good. Yeah, you're not getting hired <laughs> you're, back. 
No, your client will be like, I don't need this asshole around because he just makes my trip twice as long. Mm. You know, like what the risk and reward, you know, so you gotta, you gotta be calculated when you're working and you have to understand other people's timing, you know? So. Man. Yeah. There, there's so many takeaways, even with that. Um, you know, the whole idea of the off body bag. I mean, I know some folks are like, well, I don't want to carry it. Cause if I get, uh, if that bag gets separated from me and then other people are like, well, you know, I'd rather carry everything on my, uh, you know, in my bag because, you know, of, of the concerns that you mentioned, like it's easier to, to get a bag into work than sometimes than it is to, uh, to stroll in and have to wear different clothes just to conceal everything. But, uh, I mean, so many considerations. I think what you said about the silver was really interesting because it's often misunderstood and people think it's dated technology. Um, and I know that there are certain silver, um, silver sites where you can buy, uh, different weights of silver. Like everyone thinks like, well, what am I going to do with a one ounce bar of silver? Well, there are certain sites where you can go and I forgot the name of the site. Maybe you know it where it's like a sheet of silver and you can break off like one tenth of an ounce from a single yeah. sheet. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, yeah. about? They make, yeah. They make a bunch of those things. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, so <laughs> my friend William who lives in Idaho, uh, with me, goes by Northview products online. He makes, a. Uh, by request, you know, because I wanted to be able to give people silver all the time. If I wasn't trying to give them thirty dollars for the silver, which is an ounce, you know, twenty eight dollars a spot, I wanted to give them a you know, five dollar tip or do something where they would remember me. Or, you know, when you give someone a piece of silver, they they go, "Wow, this is precious metal. This is crazy." You know, it's, it's a different thing. It, it kind of blows people's minds. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. So I went to William and said, "Hey, I want to I want to make smaller denominations. You know, five seven dollar uh, chunks." So he started making these things called Gramsies, you know, like little grams. Um, and, you know, the value, their value between five and seven dollars so is like a tip. Right. So uh, I carry a whole pocket full of those things, a whole bag full of these grams. And I, I tip people with silver everywhere I go. And it's just really interesting. And people will definitely remember you when you tip them with silver. You know, um, it's a good conversation starter. You know, it's just one of those things where it's relatable all over the world. I've been in 53 countries professionally, you know. And uh, it's one of those things that just crosses all boundaries. It's like magic, you know. I use a lot of precious metals in Mexico. Uh, Mexicans love precious metals. It's crazy. It's like it's like unseen shit. You know, you're like, whoa, what is that? Uh, it's just it's it's just less common, you know, people carrying it around. So um, when I met Ed Calderon, it was like a thing we talked about, and we ended up both doing stuff with a company called Mutiny Metals. And that's a good friend of mine, Kevin. Now he lives in Idaho as well with me, and um, he, he pours all that stuff. He gets all the stamps and whatnot. And, uh, we've got a cool little, uh, cool arrangement going with, with the metals. So I'm interested in that stuff. I like it. Yeah. Years ago, uh, American survival guide, this is like in the mid nineties, they did a, a piece on, I think what they called it the six G's. And they said that every survivalist needs God, gold guns, uh, ground goods and grub. And they said, that's it, you know? And between gold and silver, I mean, the dollar could disappear. I mean, the dollar could, is, could be very unstable, but precious metal is not a bad investment. Uh, I sound like yeah. the guy that's always on the news saying, you know, invest in, in precious metal. But in your case, I mean, you can travel with that anywhere. You don't have to stop and get it converted. And, and like you said, it's a, uh, it's a currency that's accepted everywhere. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big believer in the plot the Impalomo, like both of them. I need the lead, I need ammo, and I need <laughs> precious metals, and I'll be okay. I'm not a guy that invests money in stock markets and stuff, and I, I have a lot of friends that do, and nothing against them. I don't trust any of that shit. <laughs> you know, like, uh, remember when Greece uh, collapsed a couple years ago? Mm. They just, all the banks locked their doors and said, we didn't, we're not here anymore. <laughs> what account? And everyone lost everything they had. It was just like instant. Um, it's one of those things that's very fragile, you know? Like, look at American debt. Like, first of all, who are we in debt to? <laughs> right. Second of all, who the fuck's going to pay for that? Like, I, I don't I don't trust any of that stuff. I, I'm not, I don't like electronic money. I like physical money. That's I can definitely cash in, you know? Like, the dollar bill used to say that this is uh, legal. Uh, this is equals what uh, percentage of silver, you know, right? The, the U.S. dollar used to be equal silver, right? And then it just said one day after the uh, Federal Reserve was created, it said this is legal tender, which mm -hmm. is, you know. You wipe your ass with it. <laughs> yeah, so, you can no longer turn it in for silver. It, it loses value. It's actual value. You know, man. Well, Ryan, we're uh, we're coming to the end of this podcast. Where can people find you? Like, if they want to take classes with you, if they want to follow your crazy schedule, uh, where can people find you online, and how can they reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, so. My day-to-day -day stuff is, is uh, I always get, give people glimpses. You know, I don't, I don't put too much information because I'm still actively a security person. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't put too much on, on the Instagrams or, or the internet. Um, usually it's, it's already happened if you're seeing it, you know, it's already the time, the time and space has already come and go. Um, but just a general read and some photos and stuff would be fieldworks.com, F-L-D-W-R-X.com. Um, there's a bunch of you know, stuff about me and the classes I teach, um, photos, et cetera, paparazzi pictures, et cetera. Um, and then on Instagram, it's fieldworks, F-L-D-W-R-X is my account. Uh, there's a matching Facebook page, uh, that I'm not really active on. Um, recently I've been, I've been off Instagram quite a bit. Uh, I think I posted twice in the last couple of weeks. Um, just kind of taking a break with this new job because I'm, I'm, I'm involved with a new client. So, you know, it's never good to be worrying about what knife pictures you have on the internet when you have a new client, you know? So I've been a little bit quiet on there recently, but I'll be back uh, once they get uh, in the pocket here. Um, and the classes are kind of, uh, they're bookmarked right now because, uh, I'm doing this, this job. So, uh, the classes came, were born out of, uh, coronavirus. So, uh, during COVID, nothing was moving. There were no tours, no movies, nothing, nothing was being made or done. So we got hit the hardest out of all the industries was entertainment, you know, concerts and mass gatherings. So I started teaching these classes of the things that I know, the things that I'm good at. So, uh, I just share the wealth of information that's just stuck in my head so I don't die with it, you know? Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm planning on doing more classes. I enjoy doing them. Uh, I do classes with two other instructors, uh, Jared ASD concepts online and Grizzly medical. Uh, Dan Bernal. We do this really cool class. All three of us, the martial artist, a combat medic, and a security guy, do a class together, a two day class all day, every day. So uh, that's a good one. It's going to be coming back soon. I think we're going to do some in California, Nevada, uh, Oregon, and Idaho. Um, but, you know, we're always accepting hosts if they want to uh, get us out there and, and, and have a class. Uh, we're happy to do it. But I'm, ha I'm planning on doing a couple this year. Uh, I don't know exactly when yet, but uh, Instagram is the best way to track. Awesome. And I, well, I didn't even know that you were in Idaho, but, uh, since you're that close, I'll probably have to make a, a road trip at some point and see what you guys are doing up there. Or next time you're in Salt Lake city, swing by, uh, you know, the Fieldcraft office and check out our operation. But, uh, 
Final words. What do you, what do you got for the listeners? If there's like the one thing that they could take away from this whole damn podcast that you rarely do, which by the way, I didn't know that when I, I asked you to jump on here that you're, you don't do a lot of them. So I'm happy for you and thankful for you to, uh, to join me. But what's the one thing that you'd say, like, take this from me, Ryan Atkinson, Fieldworks, go. <laughs> uh, the biggest thing that I've learned, especially in the last five years, uh, is just never stop growing. You come to a plateau in your life at some point where you're good at what you do or you're getting close to retirement. And you're just kind of winging it. You're just trying to get through it. You're kind of you're letting your days pace by. Um, I, I had a rebirth about, I don't know, uh, three or four years ago when I started just getting in, in really good shape again. You know, I was an athlete my whole life and I just kind of let it go. You know, like guys do, you get to a certain age, you get comfortable, you have a family and, uh, you just kind of let the physical fitness go away. Most of my friends are like that and I'm still working on them. Yeah. Um, but just don't settle. Don't get into the pocket where you, you're just, you're cruising on cruise control, spend the money that you waste on bullshit and go get some training and stuff that you, you're not ever been exposed to do things outside of your comfort zone, make, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, that's the reason I do a cardio every day and sit-ups. I fucking hate sit-ups. I hate pull-ups. I hate, I hate running and I do it every day to make it my bitch. You know, I put on some David Goggins and some rap gangster music and I go crazy, you know, and, uh, it it definitely clears your mind and will round you out as a human. Uh, you'll start to see that you get better at everything. Um, your bushcrafting skills, you know, like whatever that's next on my plate. Like that's the next thing I want to do. I want to come down. I want to see you, you know, cause I'm, that's where I'm lacking. I'm like, I'm a city cat. I'm a house cat. You know, I'm used to being in buildings around people and I'm never really out on my own. And that's part of the reason I moved to Idaho is to get out more, you know, and just to do more things, but, um, never get comfortable. If you have a short life, it's going to be over soon. There's a lot you can get into, and you can just surround you out as a better person, a better human, and make you more of an asset to everyone around you. The more skills you pick up, the more you can protect your family, the more things you could deconstruct quickly, the more instances you could jump on and be an active asset instead of a liability. So get out and train and uh, and work on your physical fitness. That's the most important thing is fitness. You know, if you, that'll make everything in your life easier. And I went to the doctor every day, every year for a physical and they're like, you need to lose weight. <laughs> I've been told that since I was 10 and, uh, now I'm 250. I'm 43 years old, 60, and I'm still on the journey. You know, I can run a, I can run a mile in seven minutes, which is insane to most people, <laughs> you know, like an old big guy running a seven minute mile, you know? Um, but I work for it. It didn't just come. It's practice it's every day the grind, you know, so don't get comfortable, grind it out, get some training. Dude, solid, solid advice. Well, guys, there you have it. Um, special thanks to Ryan Atkinson of Fieldworks uh, coming on the Fieldcraft for All podcast. Special thanks to Black Rifle Coffee again for sponsoring this and making this whole thing possible. Uh, Ryan, stay on for a bit. We'll we'll catch up. But guys, thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.